Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Good morning. Um, I'm Kylie Weatherspoon, and I serve on the hospitality team, and I also serve in the student ministry team. <laughs> and this morning I'll be reading Matthew 28, 18, 18 through 20. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in them, them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Father, we thank you for bringing us here to worship you. We thank you for who you are, and we worship you solely because of that. Lord, we just ask that you move in a powerful way, that you fill this place with your presence and lead us to truly worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Father. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, you may have a seat. This is the last week of this short four-part series called Limitless Commitments. And again, what we've been talking about, these are the commitments that, if made, will not only radically impact your lives, but also the lives around you. And that's radically impact them every day into eternity. This is limitless commitments. And it goes off of we make these resolutions, but they all have limits. But if these that we've walked through these past several weeks have limitless opportunities if we're to commit to them. And so that's what we're called to do is to commit to these things. And we're going through God's word to drive these commitments. And today, if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Mission in the Moments. Mission in the Moments. And listen, if you want something to take notes with, I'm going to invite you to stop by the Connections table. We're giving away free notebooks because we just value note-taking so highly it becomes so interactive part of what we do here so we actually can be better doers of the word and hear, not hearers only. And so take advantage of that. So mission in the moments. And so we're going to define some terms together this morning. We've used a lot of terms over the almost four years of the life of this church. And we're going to just kind of reel back a little bit and define some of the terms that we use. And what everyone wants to see as we come to this text this morning is God's given us a mission He's also given us many moments. And here's what I want you to just consider, is that every minute that you've been given is a moment. Every minute is a moment. I also want us to consider what we're doing with those minutes and moments that we've been given. Which brings us to the text that we saw this morning out of Matthew 28. And so if you haven't opened your Bible, I ask you to do that now, or your Bible app, whatever you use. But Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, we see that Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And just to reel back a little bit, where is this happening? Kind of setting the context of what we see here in Matthew 28. Was, as we see in verse 16, it's on the mountain of Galilee. And actually, if we back up a little bit further, this is what Jesus told his disciples to go meet him at. Even before he was killed, in Matthew 26, he says, But after I've risen... I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So he's killed and then resurrected. In the resurrection morning, the angels appeared to the women and 
The angel says, go, go quickly and tell the disciples, he has risen from the dead, and indeed he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. Then right after that resurrection morning encounter with the angel, the women go a little bit further and actually encounter Jesus, the resurrected Jesus himself, and he says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. And so that's what they did. They went to this mountain in Galilee and had this meeting with Jesus. And so we see where, and we already know that, that Jesus is him, but who is the them in this passage? I mean, you can quickly say it's the 11 minus Judas who coordinated in Jesus' capture and killing. But there's more people present here. I think we can easily miss that. Many would say, and I would agree, that what we see out of 1 Corinthians 15 is a reference to what was happening in this scene on the Mount of Galilee in this passage that we're seeing here. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 6, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. And he says this, he says, for, for I have passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. So what I submit to you this morning, there's a bunch of people at this gathering. Verse 16 in Matthew 28, if you back up a couple of verses from our main text this morning. It says the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus has directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped. But some doubted. It's interesting. And this doubted means, one, we see worshipers, but some doubted. But doubted means in the Greek to waver or duplicate. In other words, being double-minded. And what I see here is the same prayer that the Father came to Jesus with in Mark chapter 9. His son was dealing with seizures, and he came to the disciples and said, can you heal him? They couldn't. Then he came to Jesus and said, your disciples couldn't heal my son. Can you? And Jesus gives a remark that nothing's impossible for those who believe. And the dad says, immediately the father boy, the boy cried out, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Have you ever been there? Like your faith just feels feeble at times. I do believe, but help my unbelief. So there was some doubt in the crowd, but notice that the doubt didn't hold them back. Even in their doubt, even in their feeble faith, they still came to Jesus. And I just submit to you this morning, there's a word of encouragement there for all of us. Even when you don't know, even when you have doubts, even when you feel weak in the faith, still come to Jesus. Still pursue Jesus. Then he says, Jesus came near to them, all the authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I want you to feel the weight of that all authority. That means there's no other authority except his. The highest authority. He has all the authority in heaven and on earth. That's always, everywhere, forever. Jesus has all the authority. So the point is, if you're going to listen to anyone, I would say Jesus is a good starting place. I want to listen to the one and follow the one and obey the one who has all the authority over the immediate authorities over me. So what's Jesus say? He says, all authority has been given to me. And then he says this. He says, go. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And I just pray that if you've been coming and being a part of this faith family for any amount of time, this is not a new verse for you. Because we quote it every single Sunday. This is called the Great Commission. This is what people refer this to, the Great Commission. I saw a recent sur- survey that a large percentage of church-going people were not familiar with the term Great Commission. This is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching to obey. The Great Commission. This is important because as we clarify in terms, this is the mission. When we're talking about mission in the moments, this is the mission. And there's, just to clarify even further, there's not missions. There's no S. The church has one mission, to make disciples. So when we don't go on missions, trips, we go on a mission trip. Mission team. The church has a mission. And this is it, making disciples. And notice it says, make disciples, not converts. You're not converting to something, you're being transformed by someone. And that key word is transformed. You're not converting to a religion. You're following and devoting your life to a person. So think about this. The term disciple is used over 200 times. The term Christian is only used a few times in the Bible. In Acts eleven twenty six, 26, it says disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And this is after the gospel has been spreading like wildfire. Many people are coming to faith. Disciples are being made. Churches are being planted. And finally, they were called Christians in Antioch, which was not a term of endearment. Disciples. And it makes me wonder, why don't we use the term disciple more? I'm sure you guys think about this and stay up at night wondering, why don't we use the term disciple more? Right? I mean, don't we? I wonder if a few things, one, I think we're unfamiliar with the term, and two, I think we have a negative aspect of what disciple means. When we hear that, I think we think of super religious, devout, ultra, zealot, I don't know whatever you want to call it, versus a follower of Jesus, disciple. And notice it says here, the command is to go and make disciples. This is a command for all followers. This is whoever comes to Jesus, now you make disciples. And so under the command to go and make disciples, there's a couple of supporting elements of what the command is. So you go do these things by doing these things. So you go make disciples by Baptizing. Believers are baptized by the Holy Spirit at the moment they believe. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, alludes to, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. That means by when you come to faith, at that moment, God baptizes you, fills you, seals you with the Holy Spirit into his faith family, starting at the moment you believe, into and throughout eternity. But believers are also baptized by water following their belief by another believer out of an act of obedience. That's why we're baptized. For everyone who believes, 
then follows in obedience in baptism. And just for clarification, because again, we're defining terms, baptize means immerse, submerse, dip, dunk, whatever word you want to use. That's why we baptize by immersion, follow in belief, and this is the only principle and standard and action that you see throughout the New Testament. Belief, where's the water? But notice you have to believe. Belief. Jesus says, for God so loved the world in this way, in John 3, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so when you see that this evening on a sign in the stands when the 49ers are stomping the lions, you will know what this means. Everyone who believes will not perish means will be transformed from being separated and an enemy of God to life as a child with God forever. Perish means eternal suffering. Just to be clear, there's two ultimate realities that everyone is destined for, one of two. For those who do not believe and who reject Jesus, you will get that action and the output of that is rejection of Jesus, meaning you didn't want Jesus now, you won't want him then. And so there's eternal consequences that's called a literal hell who is meant to, for Satan and his angels and his followers and everyone who rejects him. This is the ultimate reality and should drive an urgency in us for those who are far from Jesus. This is a reality, and I would be a bad pastor if we didn't talk about the ultimate realities that were just that, reality. But it doesn't have to be the reality. This is what drives me crazy trying to persuade, urge, consider Jesus. Because that shouldn't be the goal for your life. God has a plan and a purpose, but you could accept it or reject it. But it starts with knowing him. Our identity is rooted in him. It says, whoever believes that Jesus is the son of God, meaning that he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserved in order to pay the payment that we cannot pay, whoever believes that has eternal life. I've seen the gecko, 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 gecko commercials, has a gecko. They got revamped up from many years ago of the phrase, so easy, a caveman can do it. You guys familiar with this? Trying to revamp that. Sometimes I think that's the gospel. It's so easy, there has to be more. Jesus says belief. It starts at belief. Why am I, I'm just going to hang here for a minute because this is incredibly important. Making disciples starts with believing the gospel. Romans 10 and we're going to put that on the screen for us. Romans 10. I want us to see this 14 through 17. Because what's our role in people coming to faith? Romans 10, verse 14. Apostle Paul is asked these questions. How then can they call on him who have they not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Notice that's a proclaimer, not a pastor. Can be a pastor. And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But then we know, it's verse 16, but not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Have you ever been there? I feel like that in our community. like nobody believes. Every time I share the hope of Jesus, they're like, no thanks. But some do. In verse 17, 
I want this to stick with us. So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Faith. People come to faith only from what is heard and what is heard through the message about Christ. Romans 1.16 says that more straightforward. Paul, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because how could you be? Because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also for the Greek. May put another way, Jew and Greek. Jew would be those, do you guys know those like super religious, like perfect people? Anybody know those people? Anybody have those people? Maybe you're all that person if you don't know those person. It's those people, like those super religious. The gospel's even for them. It's also for those people that you just can't stand, who never come to Christ, or just evil, awful people. Maybe your boss or brother, if you sit next to you, don't say that. For those people too. The gospel can transform anyone, whoever believes. It's the power of the gospel. I'm just going to pause there just for a second because... No, I'm going to keep going. We're going to come back to this. I have so many things we got to cover, but we don't have time because I didn't buy you guys lunch today. But we see the steps is belief, baptize, and then what? Obey. Man, we get, as a church, we get, we get belief and baptize pretty right a lot of times. But we oftentimes don't make the obey connection because obedience just seems like a shot to our pride and ego, I think. We're called to obey. As a disciple of Jesus, essentially you've traded your rule book in for his. The word of God is the rule book we go to. When we have questions, we go to God's word, the Bible. When we have doubts, we go to God's word, the Bible. If you don't know what to do, we go to God's word, the Bible. God's word is our rule book. And Jesus says this in John 14, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. It's a game changer. What's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God. If you love me, you will keep my commands. This is not keep my commands to earn something from me. If you love me, this is a great motivator. Our love for God is why we do what we do, not to earn God's love from him. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And so the point here is disciples are discipled and disciple. It's what disciples do. Disciples baptize and are baptized. Disciples are taught and they teach. This is what this wording is. You continue to do these things. Go and make disciples by baptizing and teaching. But it starts with you being baptized and taught. It's a continuous cycle. It's ongoing. This is the essence of what is referred to as discipleship. So when we think about disciple, then we go to discipleship. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says this, he says, Christianity without Christ is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. So I want us to start thinking through what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be involved in discipleship. So let me start here, just are you a disciple? Are you being discipled? And this is where he even goes further. Are you discipling someone else or others? Many we get the, are we disciple? Are we, are we disciple? We kind of understand that. Then far less are involved in being discipled, and even further less are actually discipling others. And this is the essence of what disciple and discipleship is. 
came across the Barna survey, and by far the biggest reason why people aren't discipling others is a lack of confidence. Just never feel like you know enough or have enough knowledge to do these things, and so we just never disciple someone else. We wait until we finally arrived. And the point is, if you wait till you finally arrived, you'll never be there. So to find the terms, I was reminded as a kid, I either said it or was told it, you know, usually in a negative way, it takes one to know one. Right? You ever been told that? Ever told someone that? Something negative. Well, it takes one to know one, right? Well, same with disciple. It takes one to know one. I think we don't know what the terms mean. I've heard it said that every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. Now, that's true practically. It should not be true biblically. It should not. We should, every believer should be a disciple. The point is, we all don't live as disciples. We see faith as a finish line, and then we coast into salvation. If that's your mentality, one, as much love and grace, I would just have some questions about your salvation. Is that harsh? Good. I mean, there's fruit to being a follower. I'm not saying that as negative. If I wasn't showing fruit, I would hope you would question some things about my relationship. I'm not saying you're not saved. You may not be. But if you're not living for Jesus, who are you living for? This is what being a disciple is, is devoted to Jesus first. And I'm getting ahead of myself. Y'all stop it. I'll be here all day. Defining the terms. Let me define this. Disciple. Because this is interesting. If you ask someone what a disciple is, just think about yourself. If I was to ask you right now, and you don't have to raise your hand, we're not going to do a Q&A, but what a disciple is, what would you say? And there's a range of answers. Some are good and maybe not, some not so much. Some would say a disciple is a follower of Jesus. It's good-ish. Some would say a disciple is a believer. It's good-ish. I think those all kind of fall short in some ways. So my, I, I just set out with this this week is to come up with a easy to understand, straightforward, hopefully memorable definition of disciple. Because as I was researching, I was thinking through, how do people describe a disciple? Man, there's so many things out there. Disciple does this, and they do that, and they are, and these things. And no wonder why we're confused about what a disciple is. Because there's a million definitions of it. So I'm going to give you a million to one, right? But I want to keep coming back to this throughout this year. Because we have to know what a disciple is in order to be a disciple and to make disciples. No wonder why we're not seeing disciples made, because we don't know what disciples are. So I came up with this definition. I'm going to run through this, and then we're going to clarify a little bit and keep on trucking. So hang with me. So a disciple is a fruitful follower of Jesus who is conforming to Jesus' likeness, is committed to Jesus' words and ways, and is compelled to lead others to do the same. There's five points in this definition, and I'm notorious for some run-on sentences, just them. So this was a battle. Fruitful, follower, conforming, committed, compelled. Let's run through these real quick. I'm glad you're taking notes because you're going to need them. Ready? Here we go. We're going to see some papers catching on fire. Number one, fruitful. A disciple is a fruitful follower of Jesus. Jesus simply said in Matthew 7, verse 20, you'll, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. 
That's both false prophets, false teachers, and also Christians. You'll recognize them by their fruit. And so if you're not growing, producing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if you're not growing and serving and generosity and just worshiping and contributing and loving and forgiving and bearing each other's burdens, all these things that we see throughout the Bible, I mean, are you growing in these things? There should be an upward trajectory as you follow Jesus. We said that about this before. I, I use the illustration because it is snowboard season, and we're trying to go snowboarding here in the next couple of weeks. I got inspired by watching the X Games over this weekend. But as I go up the mountain, it's not always straight up. Sometimes it's down, up, even, up. But isn't that our life following Jesus? It feels like sometimes I'm in a valley, but then I get back up. And, but the trajectory is always growing. So are you producing fruit? So a fruitful, number two, follower. A disciple is a fruitful follower of Jesus. Jesus said this in Luke 9, verse 23. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Let that linger for a second. Let him deny himself, take up his cross when he feels like it. That's not what he said. See, that's what God's got to watch it. You don't know what's going to come out of the mouth from the pulpit. Take up his cross daily. So it says, Luke 9.23, fact check that. Take up cross daily and follow me. This is what it means to be a follower. Surrendering, surrendering everything, all of who you are, to Jesus. Fruitful follower of Jesus who is conforming. To Jesus' likeness. This conforming has an ing, meaning it's happening, not happened. Conforming, continual process, process towards Christ's likeness. That's what conforming is. And when we look at Jesus' group, he had, he had this core group of hand picked disciples, right? They were the all stars, right? No. No, man, read the Bible. These guys were average and had some issues which I am very encouraged with. They're handpicked, but what you see is this bent from going their individuality to conformity to Christ. In Acts 4.13, these men were said to be untrained, uneducated men. Just average people. But it's interesting, when you look in this core group, just a couple examples, one was a tax collector. Jesus picked a tax collector to be a part of this core group of disciples. A tax collector, they were not popular in the first century. Not only were they selling out for the Roman occupying government, which they hated, but they're also known for skimming some off the top for themselves. Not a liked people. That's one of Jesus' initial followers. He invited to follow him as a tax collector. Now combine that... So you got this tax collector, then you have this zealot that was a part of the group. Now, I know you guys know all things about zealots, first century zealots, and this, but they did not like the Roman government. Matter of fact, they were trying to lead in this type of guerrilla-style warfare to overthrow the Roman oppression. So now give one person who was sold out to the Roman government for his own selfish ambitions, and one who couldn't stand and hated and wanted to kill every one of them, and get those guys together and let's worship. 
Sounds like, makes sense, right? You got fishermen, normal, average people, just doing average things. You got some hotheads in the group. You got some people that want power and position, and they ask their mom to help them come to Jesus. Like, all these things. It's in the Bible, trust me. But this conforming to Jesus' likeness, you see them growing from individuality to conforming to Christ's likeness the more time they spent with Jesus. But Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. The point is, Jesus is our teacher. He is our master. He's the one that we're conforming to. So we go to three number, uh, conforming to committed. Disciples, a follower of Jesus, conforming to Jesus' likeness, and committed to Jesus' words and ways. And this is huge. This is both following and obeying what he says and what he showed. He led by example to teach, and he said some things, all fulfilling the word and the law. In Luke chapter 14, verse 25, we're talking about being a committed follower. Jesus says this. He's, it says, uh, now, crowd, now the great crowds, Jesus was popular, great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, Brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Did anybody tell you that when you came to faith? This is what it means to follow Jesus. Like, you have to hate everyone else and follow Jesus. You ready? Like, who's like, yes, yeah, sign me up, I hate dad anyway. Like, no, I would say that. But this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, just to clarify... This is a choosing over. You see hate language all throughout the Old Testament. This is a choosing over one or the other. Some say the love for the Lord is like hate in comparison. The point is you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength and with all your being over anyone, anyone else. This is a committed lifestyle. He goes on to say whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. So are you willing to follow Jesus over anyone in your life and no matter what suffering it brings, are you committed to follow Jesus? This is what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to believe. Like, Jesus is better, period. And he says this, For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Meaning, Count the costs. Is Jesus worth it? I'm telling you so many times we're so trying so hard to just have someone say, make the confession of faith that, yeah, I believe in Jesus. We'll do almost anything for it. Just accept Jesus in your heart and you'll just have the life that's amazing. Your wildest dreams, like all these things that we say, or just, just believe it's easy. And it is. But count the costs. What does that mean? Because listen, if you really believe, if you really come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, then these things, he's worth it. He's worth it. I just wonder, whoever, who's in here who would say, no, just, I don't care what happens tomorrow, whatever tomorrow brings, because I've been through some things, I've seen through some things, 
Jesus is worth it. Bring the suffering. Bring the public shame. Bring loss. Because Jesus is worth it. Bring the provisions. See how God provides. Jesus is still worth all that and more. Because having Jesus is enough. And that's what we see. And that's what Jesus is saying. Count the cost. This is what it means to follow me. He says in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or be devoted one and despise the other. And he talks specifically about money, but this is the point in general, is you can't serve Jesus and you fill in the blank. It's Jesus. This is what disciple is. Disciple says Jesus is worth it. All of it. Being committed. Again, he goes back, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. We committed to Christ because we love him because he first loved us and to wrap this thing up compelled Father Jesus is compelled to lead others to do the same we use a terminology in our groups of replicate multiply and this is often the hardest thing to do why do we need to replicate why do we need to multiply this is what the term go and make disciples means Making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes to this young pastoral type, missionary, church planting figure, church leader named Timothy. And he says this, he says, What you have heard from me, what you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Notice this, this is Paul discipling Timothy, who disciple faithful men, who will be able to disciple others. It's a multiplying process. And it goes back to Apostle Paul when he was radically saved on the road to Damascus. He then came, was baptized in verse 19 of Acts 9. It says, Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. We see there's always discipleship happening throughout the New Testament as a practiced and a rhythm to put in place. In other words, disciples, disciple, disciples, disciple, disciples, 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 disciples. You guys get the point? I wonder how many times I can say that until it just starts getting all mushed up. Disciple, disciples. This is what disciples do. They disciples, disciple, disciples. Who then disciple, disciples. It's a multiplying effect. And just to be clear, because the early disciples, disciple disciples, and those disciples, disciple disciples, and then those disciples, disciple disciples, is the only reason that you're here sitting in this place in the West End worshiping God this morning. The only reason. Aren't you glad that a core, core men took the Great Commission seriously? I just wonder how many other people would be glad if we took the Great Commission seriously, where we work, live, and play. Disciple makes disciples. This is what we call discipleship. Just clarify terms again. This is so important because if we get this right, it will change the West End. You want to see the lost get found, lives get changed, people who are searching for hope, identity, worth, and value come to Jesus and find all those things. It starts with us being disciples. Biblical disciples. Then be involved in discipleship. And just to be clear, discipleship, in my estimation, which we can debate this because I'll win, is not mentorship. 
I know. Got some toe stepped on. It's not mentorship. I've seen it just replace discipleship. Churches are now using mentorship. Not the same. Mentorship is, I'm going to teach you to be a good person and to be like me, your mentor. That's not what we're doing here. Discipleship is not mentorship. Discipleship is transforming our learning into living to be more conforming to Jesus' likeness through hearing, seeing, and doing. Discipleship, you're growing and conforming to Jesus' likeness, and it comes by way of hearing, seeing, and doing. This is the form that Jesus took when he discipled his early disciples, right? He showed them, he let them do them, and he sent them away to do them themselves. So then we come to this term, go. We see that in Matthew 28, 19. That's where we started. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And just to be clear, nations isn't like Germany. They're people groups. Just quite simply, straightforward, they're groups of people. But it says go. This is intentionality within your normality. This is the regular rhythms of as you go, make disciples. This is, all, this is go with intentionality, and as you go, be intentional. Do you see that? This is what we do. When you go, in the moments, in the minutes you have, be on mission. Making disciples. The mission of making disciples starts where you are, but doesn't stay there. I want you to hear that, because that's huge. The mission, the moments you've been given to make disciples starts where you are, but doesn't end or stay there. Like, think about this. We have several great commission-type statements that Jesus gave in the last few gatherings in the 40 days that he walked the earth from resurrection to ascension. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is and, 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 not or, or, or. We usually want to pick one. I'll do here. And what I'm not saying is everyone needs to go to the remotest part of Africa. That's not what I'm saying. Some should. Some are. What I am saying is Jesus says, as you go, we're to be involved in making disciples, not forgetting about going in the faraway places, but be intentional where you are. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So as we go, we're proclaiming the gospel. And then when people believe, we disciple. We disciple. This is what discipleship looks like. Evangelism and discipleships are both wings on the same plane. So what are some regular rhythms of as you go? Discipleship starts where you are but doesn't stay there. How about your home? How are you discipling those in your home? Like, think through that. Do you have kids? How are you discipling your kids? Your spouse? How are you involved in just helping one another in conforming to Jesus' likeness? Committing to his words and ways and being compelled to help others and lead others to do the same. 
about your workplace. Worship is a great form of discipleship, but this is what's very odd, and this is funny, but not funny to me. Adult learning. The worst style is adult, adult learning, as I see most of y'all, is lecture-based. This is the worst style of communication, and yet we do it every single Sunday. So here we are. But for most Christians, this is their only form of discipleship. And it's awful because you're only going to take away about 10% is what research shows about what you hear this morning. Super encouraging for a pastor. So I would say, take notes, take notes. But if this is it for your discipleship, your, your growth is going to be hampered. I thought about when I was the first came to faith at the age of, it was 2000, so 20. I knew nothing. I knew a little bit. I knew the church. I knew this thing. I was, I was going to a little chapel in a, an Air Force base out in West, West Texas. And all I knew is I heard the gospel and believed it. But I was thinking through this this morning. If I gave my six-year-old my Bible, just my big, I have a very big Bible. I was going to bring it, but I couldn't lift it on stage. I have a Bible. And I said, here you go, buddy. Go and be a disciple. How would that end for my little man? But man, that's how I felt as an early follower of Jesus. Like, ah, I love Jesus, don't know what to do. And that's what a lot of us, where we stay. It's like, I love Jesus, and that's it. And that's good. It's good enough for salvation. Your growth is going to be hampered. We need one another. We need to be in discipleship relationships. So how are you being discipled? How are you discipling others in your workplace, in your class, in your school? I've seen, man, I used to be in student ministry. I've seen teenagers on fire for the Lord. You want to get people rallied up for a good cause? Jesus is the great one. And they will take that into school systems, share the gospel, start discipling others, start in Bible studies. It's amazing. Why don't we do that? Have a Bible study, a discipleship group during your lunch break. Start seeing lostness around you. I wonder when's the last time you walked through Short Pump Mall and got your heart broken by the lostness around you. As it says, go and make disciples, it also says, stop and see. We get so hurried in the go, we're so busy, we don't see the hurt around us. If we can stop and see the losses, truly the nations are represented here. And the gospel is here because you're here. So what are we doing about it? And the church exists for various reasons, but one of the main ones is discipleship. I've been thinking through how the, the various ministries of our church helps us to truly go make disciples. I think about our Way Kids ministry and how they're intentionally crafting and honing lessons with discipleship and evangelism in place and growth for our kids to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Our discipleship director, our Way Kids director, Melanie, has come up with some take-home resources for parents to be able to disciple their kids better. Some resources equipping, because well, the main reason we don't disciple people is because we don't know what to do. We lack confidence. We started just today creating sermon guides for our kids that graduated way kids or are now in youth ministry. So during the sermon, you can participate and start, start taking notes, trying to resource our families. Our student ministries doing the same thing. They're, they're doing here journals like our D groups are, trying to raise our kids to know, to follow, obey Jesus. But these are all family opportunities and resources for families to help disciple 
their kids. As Bobby, our discipleship director, mentioned earlier, we have community groups launching next week. And those are fantastic opportunities to start in a discipleship relationship if you haven't been in those already. Because what we do is we take this, what we're hearing, and then we discuss it to apply it in our groups. Because as learning retention grows, the more you talk about it and do it. And so that's what we do in community groups. High-end fellowship, biblical intentionality. Our discipleship should derive from God's word. But here's where I want to press us a little bit more. And if you're wondering, we're, we're, we're winding this thing down. Discipleship groups. Let me go back and say, this church was birthed out of a heart for the lost, specifically among the nations. I stood in China, seeing all the sights, and I saw the sea of faces who were hopelessly and desperately lost. And I had to do something about it. And you had a government that said, don't share Jesus. So what do you do? Do I say, I obey Jesus and get on the street with a microphone? You can. That'd be short-lived. So what do we do? And so I started praying, like, God, here, you have me to come here as a missionary. I will devote my life to whoever it takes to see the gospel go where it hasn't been brought. For those who have never heard so that they can hear and have the opportunity to believe. In a longer story than I have time to share, the Lord called us not necessarily to go, but to be a part of a church who sins. How can I, Josh Weatherspoon, and our family have a better impact on the nations? Is it me going or being a part of equipping a church to be obedient to the Great Commission, the mission, and seeing disciples made here in the West End to the ends of the earth? That's what we do. And just to be clear, the mission is to love God, love others, and make disciples. But what that looks like is that we go and make disciples and plant churches that make disciples, that plant churches. That's what we do. And so all of what we do and all that we give towards is seeing God's glory proclaimed among the nations, starting here in the West End. So we see disciples made and churches planted by God's plan A. This is what we do. All that to say, one of the mechanisms here that we put in place is discipleship groups. So I am calling you consider a discipleship group. And we've talked about this. This isn't for everyone right now, but it's for everyone at some point, I'm, con- I'm convinced. But it's high in accountability, intentionality, because this is what we do. We read the Bible. And it's heavy doses to read the Bible. Then we take notes using a hearer journal. And every time you come, but you're devoting yourself, committing to come every week unless you die or you have a pre-scheduled vacation. This is what you do. You're committed to be there. And so this isn't for everyone, but though it should be. And you're discussing what the Bible actually says, not what it means to me, but what it means, and then what are you going to do about it? And you come back next week and say, Josh, do you do what God said for you to do through his word? It's not like kicked out of the group type things, but it's a call to accountability. This is what discipleship looks like. Are you being transformed? And we've seen so much growth growth in discipleship groups because a hard concept but a healthy one is that they're, from the beginning, thinking about replicating. That's what disciples do. That's what churches do. They multiply. That's how the lost are going to be found. That's how the gospel is going to spread from the west end to the ends of the earth, by disciples making disciples. So I'm asking us, are you a disciple? Because if you are, you better be start being discipled and making disciples. That's just what the Bible says. That's not Josh Weatherspoon. 
Now, I'm just calling us as one the pastor here to start taking what the Bible says seriously and start seeing the mission not as someone else, the super Christians, but as everyday disciple, those who confess faith in Jesus by taking the mission to see God's glory proclaimed among the nations, worshipers formed, and devoting their lives to Christ Jesus as your feet take you, as you go. I'm going to end with this. Because we see at the, begin, at the end of verse 20, Matthew 28, verse 20, this is important. Isn't that funny? Like, not, nothing that I said up to this point is important, but this is important. Jesus says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is tied to the Great Commission command, go and make disciples. So what it means is, one, the power is Jesus, all authority, But we're to go under his authority, power of his presence. So as we go, he is with us always. That's a long time, and that's a lot of places. But notice this great commission command to go make disciples, baptize, and teach has a time period. And that time period ends when Jesus returns. That's important. The great commission has not ended yet. We're to go and make disciples, baptize those who believe, and teach to obey until Jesus returns. Which means there's still opportunity in people that God's working in to hear the gospel, repent and believe. But his plan A is to do that through disciples who proclaim the gospel and disciple those who believe. I'm just wondering who in this place is thankful for you having the opportunity to hear and believe. Because it came through God's word, you read it, or you heard it from someone else. That's how you came to believe. If anyone has a different story than that, I'd love to hear it because there's not one. Even in, real quick, I hear it over and over. This is why it's so, it's so encouraging to be around missionaries who have devoted their lives for the sake of the gospel internationally. Because there's a hard places, and what I hear all the time, it's so, so amazing is that where the gospel hasn't been reached, God's still moving, and he does that through dreams at times, but oftentimes, even when it's a dream, he then connects that person who is sensing Jesus in a dream, the person that's far away from Christ, to the local missionary so he can proclaim the gospel and believe and turn to faith. It's still always coming back to hearing and believing, whether it's God's word, you reading it directly, or hearing it from someone else. And so I'm wondering, if you're thankful that someone did that in your life and you had the opportunity to repent and believe, How can we then not be compelled to share the same hope that we have? I don't know how that's possible. I know it's awkward and weird and we risk things, but isn't the risk for someone else worth it? I just want us to call us to use our moments for more. I don't want to be the casual Christian cultural church who just does this worship thing and see you next Sunday. This is a way of life for devoted followers of Christ. If we do this If we're actually discipling, being disciples like Jesus said, we will see lives change starting with yours. I'm just wondering who is going to start now. I mean, we've had some life experiences already left up this point, but it doesn't have to remain like that. You you, you carve out things that you prioritize, right, that you love. And so this is worth prioritization. We're busy, so when Jesus says go and be busy, it's not what he's saying. He says go and be intentional. So I wonder how much of us can just carve out moments margins for moments in our lives to be intentional, to be disciples who make disciples, to see disciples made for God's glory and for the good of many. I want to consider that. I'm going to invite our band back up and we're going to 
have an opportunity to respond, just respond. And this looks of various ways. So we're going to sing this last song. And for many of us, we'll stand and sing and praise because God's worthy. And it's how God's leading because he's worthy of it. And we're thankful for the salvation that we enjoy because we remember that moment when we were sinners in need of a Savior. Yet God interrupted our lives like this Damascus Road experience that Paul had and radically changed us and is changing us. For many others, we still have that, but we're sensing that God's just doing something and calls us to more. Maybe you're tired of living in the mundane routine of things. God didn't have that for you. I just, we're so missing the more of what God's doing because we're just caught up in the regular routine of busyness. I'm just calling us to leverage our routines for the sake of the gospel and see what God does in you and through you. You want to see lives changed? Let's start today. You want to see your life changed even more and see Jesus come alive? Start today. If I was to ask you what God's doing in your life and you have, don't have an answer, start being a disciple today, and next week you'll see what God's doing in your life. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's time to respond to Jesus. When Jesus said, it is finished, hang on the cross, he made your payment for your sin was paid in full because you couldn't do it. You deserve death and eternal separation, yet Jesus bore the price for your sin, dying for your sin, resurrected, conquering sin and death, so that everyone who would believe in him has eternal life. And that starts at the moment you believe. You were created to enjoy the relationship with God, but it's only through faith in Christ. And so if you have not made that faith commitment, do that now. Do that before you leave and let life change start happening and start seeing that Jesus is better. I'm going to leave us in prayer. We'll have a prayer team to the side. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you. Walk along your next steps. If you haven't been baptized as a believer yet, that's your next step. If you're not being discipled, that's the next step. If you're not discipling someone, that's the next step. We'll have discipleship group signups. Get in a group. That's a great next step. We're here to help walk alongside one another. That's what church is. We're a people, a faith family. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for bringing us to this place. We thank you for who you are and what you have done and are doing in our lives. And help us never to get over how you saved us, how you brought us from death to life through faith in you, that you've given us a, a newness in our life, a new creation. We were created new in you because of what you have done for us. Help us just to rest in how amazing your love is that you proved your own love for us and that while we're sinners, Christ died for us. Help us to feel the weight of that and help us, Lord, if we have drifted in our love and devotion for you, bring us back and help us just to be compelled and to live every moment with intentionality of a love for you. And this is the way we're gonna see your mission take place. This is a heart for you. Not all something we have to do, but of a heart for you. So Lord, continue to change, mold us, and shape us as fruitful followers of Jesus. Who are conforming to Jesus' likeness. Who are committed to Jesus' words and ways. And are compelled to help others do the same. Lord, we give you all the glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, 
please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.